0: As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul... How I used to go with a multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep, in the roars of your waterfalls all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about every morning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from the deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold, why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth, let them guide me, let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with a heart, O God, my God. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God.
1: Julian. Uh, thanks, Chris, for that. Sadly, it does look like this may be my last uh, sermon amongst you uh, before we head over to Geelong. Um, but yes, uh, perhaps there will be one more. Who knows? An encore performance. Uh, if our accommodation uh, situation in Geelong doesn't seem to get any better, perhaps there will be lots more. So, If anyone has got a flat in Geelong that uh, you are willing to rent out, uh, saving that a large cardboard box um, <laughs> would be great. Uh, if you could leave your Bibles open to these Psalms uh, so that you can follow along uh, as we go through them this morning, that would be uh, very helpful for for your sakes uh, as well as mine, uh, because as we look through these psalms, uh, it, it's great for us to be able to see together just how clearly they're set out, uh, and how uh, yeah how the the structure really really contributes uh, to what the psalmist is trying to teach us here. Now, as Chris uh, mentioned a moment ago, last week we looked at Psalm 23, perhaps uh, one of the the best known psalms in the Bible. Uh, and we saw that throughout life, no matter the circumstances, God is with us. That in him we have all that we want. No matter if the time is good or if the time is bad, in him we have all that we want. Well, our psalm uh, today focuses a little bit more uh, specifically than last week. And we look uh, in more detail at a particular circumstance in life, a particular condition that we'll all face at some point on our walk with God. Now every week we we come together at church or we meet with believers in some way and every week we're inevitably asked the same question and give the same answer. How are you? How are you going? I'm good. I'm fine. I'm well. Uh, If you're Melinda Zorpa you will say that none of us are good Uh, and that you must answer well. But you know, it's automatic, isn't it? I mean, I'm fine. I'm good. Uh, It almost seems awkward or improper to answer anything else. I mean, you don't want to be accused of going too deep too soon in the conversation and uh, causing social awkwardness. But the fact of the matter is, if we're truly honest, it's not really the case, is it? I mean, we're not good or well or fine every week. The fact is that sometimes we're struggling. Sometimes we are finding it hard and we're searching for relief. The good news is that our psalm this morning deals almost exclusively with these hard times, these spiritual difficulties. And it talks with great honesty about some of the things that we find so difficult to talk about. And even better, it it shows us how to escape. It shows us how to have relief from what we'll call spiritual depression, uh, to borrow the term from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Now you might have noted that I've been uh, saying psalm in the singular when clearly our NIV Bibles have two psalms. Uh, If you do have an NIV, you might note uh, that in the footnotes there it says that in many uh, or some Hebrew manuscripts there, this is actually treated as one psalm. Uh, there's a whole debate in scholarship with about whether it is or not. But it seems to me that there, it is one psalm. Uh, you might have noted as we were reading it there's a whole heap of repetition uh, between the two psalms, uh, common verses, common uh, sayings. And so we're going to treat them this morning as if they were one psalm devoted to one topic. Now we don't know much about who the psalmist was. Uh, The the title says a psalm of the sons of Korah. Uh, But whether that means it was written by the sons of Korah or it was written by King David for the sons of Korah to sing, Uh, they were musicians, Uh, we don't really know. We don't really know much about the situation of the psalmist either. Uh, his context. It seems uh, from reading the psalm that he may have been in the north of the land, near uh, Mount Hermon, which gets a mention. But again, we just don't know. We we, we don't know much about the context. But what we do know is that the psalmist was having a hard time. He was spiritually depressed. And we also know that what he teaches regarding spiritual depression is incredibly helpful for us. Uh, So let's get into it. Now we have here in the first uh, four verses of this psalm uh, an incredibly honest and really quite a personal description of what it's like to be spiritually depressed. What some of its uh, symptoms, if you like, might be. Uh, In verses 1 to 3 the psalmist longs for God. He looks for God, he desires after him. Like a deer panting for running water, like a burning thirst that aches to be quenched The psalmist thirsts for God. But God is not to be found. When can I go and meet with God? But no answer is forthcoming. The psalmist thirsts for God, for the living God. But the only relief that he receives, the only thing to ease his thirst, is his own tears, day and night. He seeks for God, except God seems far away. But he remembers the temple. He remembers the times of joy he used to experience there. In the past, that was where he had experienced God. That was where he had met with God. But his memories are sad. They lead him to despair. Because for whatever reason, distance, exile, illness, whatever, the temple is not an option for him. He remembers the temple, the dwelling place of God, with sadness because he cannot be there. He remembers how he used to be part of God's people, how he used to lead the procession with joy, with thanksgiving and worship. He used to go among them. But again, it's just a distant memory. The psalmist may have used to go with the procession, but now it's just a memory that gives him pain. The psalmist is suffering spiritual depression. Spiritually his life seems barren and desolate. It feels to him as if God is not there, as if he's alone. His thirst remains unsatisfied. And even the things of God that used to give him such joy, the temple, God's house, the believing community, God's people, even those things and the memory of them, causes his heart to ache. Can you feel the the angst and the pain of the psalmist here? Why are you not there, God? Why are you away from me? Why is my life not as it used to be? I feel so dry and so worn out. Now I'm guessing that many of us can relate to the psalmist here that we can relate to this spiritual depression, to these hard times. God why does it feel like you're not there? Why when I read your word do you not speak? Why when I pray does it feel like you're not listening? When I go to church my, my praise feels empty. When I meet with your people there's no joy. My spiritual life feels like a desert and you seem so far away. Spiritual depression is what the psalmist was going through and it's what many believers, if not all believers, will go through at some point in their life. And it's a difficult thing. It can lead us to despair and to doubt if not dealt with. Thankfully, whilst our psalm here doesn't deal with the causes of spiritual depression... It does focus on the response and the relief of it. But quickly, before we look at the positive response, what we should do in resp- uh, for spiritual depression, we need to be aware of the negative. You see, there is a bad way to respond to spiritual depression. And that bad way is to give in to temptation, to seek pleasure or fulfilment in sources other than God. The fact is that when we're down... Temptation is that it's its strongest. It's not like the devil,, uh, you know, steps back and says, "Look, he's down. Let's just give him a chance. He doesn't play fair. Evil' is not above kicking you while you're down. In fact, it thrives on it. Consider the experience of Jesus when he was in the desert for 40 days. Uh, I won't go as far as to say that he was spiritually depressed, but note that it's then when he's in the desert that he's tempted. And if he's going to be tempted when he's down, we should, experience, we should expect to know better. To a person dying of thirst in a desert, anything that presents even the slightest chance of relief will be taken regardless of the consequences. Uh, sailors adrift at sea have been known to drink seawater for relief even though they know that it's qu- quickly going to kill them. Likewise, temptation is strongest when we're down. We give up on the living water that is God, and we turn to sin, which appears to offer some instant gratification, but actually leads to death. And isn't it uncanny how, how readily we'll turn, when spiritually depressed, to lust, or material cravings, or even just self-centeredness, for relief? And yet all that these things provide is temporary relief. They last an instant and they lead to death. But thankfully our psalm points us in a different direction, in the right direction, to real and lasting relief, to the living water himself. Now you might have noticed uh, that this psalm, uh, considering 42 and 43 as one, is split into three sections uh, by that repetition that we find in verse 5, 11 and verse 5 again. That that chorus. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. That uh, chorus or refrain, if you like, ends each of these three sections But in this case, in in the case of verse 6 to 10, it also introduces this section. And it's here that the psalmist shares with us his relief from spiritual depression, how he came out of it. And really the solution is very simple. The psalmist's response was faith. He continued to have faith in God and in his faith he reminded himself of the truths of God that he already knew. Just a quick side note here, Uh, spiritual depression is not a sign of a lack of faith. In fact it's possible to have great faith and still suffer spiritual depression. In fact some of the most well known Christians in history have suffered great spiritual depression. Uh, Spurgeon for example, uh, a man of great faith. I mean if you read his writings you can just see evidence of how strong his belief was and yet he suffered from great spiritual depression a number of times in his life. Uh, It might feel when you are spiritually depressed like you have no faith or that your faith is weak. But the truth is that the two are not mutually exclusive. It is possible to have great faith and still suffer spiritual depression. In fact, I think the very very presence of spiritual depression is almost an indicator of faith. I mean, what's there to be depressed about if you have no faith? And it's here in verses 6 to 10 of this psalm that we see the faith of the psalmist demonstrated. Uh, The first thing he does upon uh, diagnosis, if you like, of his spiritual depression is begin to remind himself of the truths of God. Verse 6, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. And even when the times are hard and when he suffers, when it feels as if he's drowning in the hardships of life, when deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me, even then he acknowledges that it's God's waterfalls, that it's God's waves and his breakers, Even in that time, his faith assures him that God is in control. In verse 9, he reminds himself of God's love, of God's continued presence with him. And finally, in verse 11, he repeats that refrain, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. And hear this refrain, when we consider it in light of the verses uh, immediately before it, it carries a note of hope, of the resilience of faith. Rather than the lament of verse 5, it's a reminder here, a note of conviction. Can you feel the difference here between verses 1 to 4 and verses 6 to 10? The psalmist is, is still suffering. He still feels overwhelmed at times. He's still oppressed by his enemies, and yet things have changed a little. In the first four verses, his mind was, mind was firmly cast upon his own sufferings. The focus was on his problems. He remembered his past highs and past experiences. And all this introspection just forced him further into his despair and further into his depression. Whereas here in verses six to ten, his focus changes. No longer does he remember just his own experiences, his own past highs, and his own situation. He remembers God. His thoughts turn to God, to His ways, to His sovereignty and salvation. No doubt the psalmist is still troubled, but his focus has changed. His eyes are becoming fixed on God. Even the fact that in verse 9 he cries out to God for help confirms it. He looks to God as the source of his help. Previously in verse 3, the taunting of his enemies led him to despair whereas now it leads him to God. And herein lies a good lesson for us all. When afflicted or depressed, our first thought is so often of ourselves to dwell on our own situation, to consider our own hardships. And like it did for the psalmist, all that does is drive us further into despair, to drive us further into depression. Like the psalmist, we need to change our focus. We need to lift our eyes, rather than being fixated on ourself, on our own situation we need to fix our eyes on God in faith, to remember him, his sovereignty and his salvation. As the psalmist reminded himself of the truth of God, of his love and his power, so too we should remind ourselves from the Bible of what God is like, to consider the truth of scripture rather than our own skewed perceptions. God and His truth is the way out of our spiritual depression. And yet we should be wary of expecting immediate relief. Uh, As we read in the psalm here, despite the psalmist's renewed focus on God, it seems that God uh, may not have acted immediately. Sometimes for His own purpose and in His own time, He delays. Uh, James 1.3 says that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Or in 1 Peter 1.7 that these, that is trials, have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Uh, As C.S. Lewis says in the Screwtape Letters, God uses the troughs, that is the low points, even more than the heights, to draw us to him. We may not receive immediate respite from spiritual depression, but we do need to have continued faith, to rely on God, to remind ourselves of who he is and what he's done. He will work in his time and according to his purposes, which, as he tells us, will always be to our good and to his glory. And it's in verses 3 to 4 of this psalm that we see how God works. Let me read them for you. Send forth your light and truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God my God. The psalmist tells us here what God does to relieve and to restore spiritual depression. And, and really he tells us of his confidence in what God will do. He will send. He will send his light and his truth. And they will lead the psalmist out of his depression and restore him to God's holy mountain. That is the place where God dwells. And having been led there, the psalmist will go to the altar, the places where sacrifices are offered for his redemption, and he will praise God and rejoice. Hear the complaints of verses 1 to 4. The things that the psalmist longed for and lacked will be restored to him. He will come into God's presence. He will be restored to the temple. Once again, he will rejoice and delight in God. No longer will his spiritual life be barren and dry, but he will be filled with joy. Now let's step back for a moment and just remind ourselves, consider the psalmist's original problem. As he cried out at the beginning of the psalm, when can I go and meet with God? And as his enemies taunted him, where is your God? Now had God actually abandoned him? Had God left him? The answer has to be plainly no. No, God had not left him. Even as the psalmists begin to realise in verse 8 that God, at least in some way, was still with him. Uh, Hebrews 13 reminds us of the Old, Old Testament promise that God had made. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God does not forsake his people. Uh, he may, as C.S. Lewis again describes, leave us to stand on our own two legs. But he never abandons us. And this is wonderfully good news and wonderful mercy because the fact is ever since mankind came into the world we've been trying to abandon God. We've been trying to forsake him. At the heart of all sin is our rejection of God and of his rule over us and a desire to leave him and to strike out on our own. How ironic is it that which we greatly desired— independence from God—is that which terrifies us if we, we truly even just have a taste of it. And in a way, this psalm, uh, verses three to four particularly, speaks prophet- prophetically to us. <coughs> sorry, prophetically to us of events uh, in the future for the psalmist, but in the past for us. Because God has restored our abandonment of him. He has brought about resolution for our sin. And he did it by sending his truth and light into this world, personified. Jesus came and said, I am the light of the world. And again, I am the truth. In John 14.6 he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. The psalmist prayed that God would send his light and truth into the world to lead him unto God and truly God has done this. He sent Jesus to be light and truth, to make open the way to God so that our forsaking of him may be made right. And how did Jesus do this? He did it by truly suffering that which we should have. He took the consequences of our choice, our desire for separation, so that we wouldn't have to. We tried to be separated from God, but in his mercy he never truly left us. Instead, Jesus experienced it in our place. On the cross he was taunted, Where is your God? the crowd said. And on the cross he truly cried out, having fully experienced it, so that we wouldn't have to. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus suffered true abandonment from God, true separation from his Father so that we would never have to. He truly said, where are you God? So that we might be restored to him. And it's this gospel truth that we can cling to. That when God seems distant, when it seems that he cannot be found, we can remember him who was truly abandoned by God, so that we will never be. Him who was truly forsaken, so that we would be restored. The psalm ends with the same chorus uh, that we've seen in verse 5 and verse 11. Except here the mood has changed again. It's no longer the the faint remembrance of verse 5, or even the conviction of verse 11, but it's an assertion of joy, of great confidence, secure in the knowledge of what God has already done. Let me read it. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that our hope is secure in you that through you sending your, your truth and your light in Jesus that you have reconciled us to yourself that you've brought us back to you despite our abandonment that you've forgiven us our sins we thank you that he was truly abandoned so that we could again have a relationship with you and Father uh, we know that throughout our life Uh, We will face uh, spiritual depression and, and hard times. But we pray that you would help us to continue to have faith in you regardless. That you would remind us, that we would remind ourselves of your truth. That we would cling to your gospel and cling to what Christ has already done for us. And have hope in you, our Saviour and our God. In Jesus' name, Amen.